Anna. Strange and unusual stories from history, literature, myths, and legends. Hi, this is Bob Familiar. And this is Jim Bilbro. And welcome to Ambient Arcana, the conversation episode about Edgar Allan Poe. Hi. Um, we decided to use Poe sort of as a kind of uh, spur of the moment kind of thing. Um, the uh, genesis of it all was that uh, my, my, my two brothers, Paul and Bob, came over to visit me for Christmas, and we were just kind of talking about the podcast. And uh, I mentioned I had uh, just bought a microphone, and my brother wanted to check it out, and uh, we decided to try a recording. And the first recording we tried was the Oval Portrait, because it's Poe's shortest story, and that figured, you know, we figured it'd be the easiest thing to do, to go for the shortest story. And it was very, very evocative. I thought Bob did a great cold reading. He never read the story before, had no idea that it even existed. And then he said, well, let me, let me try doing something that I, I'm familiar with. Uh, and that's when he did the Mask of the Red Death. And um, I think I mentioned this in the, in the bio of the, uh, the Poe episode itself, that my brother had done a one-man uh, show, a one-man live performance uh, portraying Edgar Allan Poe. So he had done certain stories, he had done certain uh, you know, snippets of his life and things of that nature, and uh, you know, presented them sort of a la Mark Twain, you know, tonight, you know, that kind of thing. Um, the Oval Portrait is, is a good story for us and just by happenstance because the next author we're going to do is uh, Robert W. Chambers who is all about art. He himself was an artist and uh, the Oval Portrait makes a, a pretty good uh, pairing with some of the other stories there. Um, the stories we're not doing from the, the King in Yellow uh, such as the Yellow Sign which is all about a painter and uh, his issues with uh, art once he becomes sort of tainted by the, uh, the Yellow Sign. Um, the, um, the, the bio of Poe had to be a bit abbreviated. There was a lot of uh, aspects of his life that I, I didn't uh, include. And a lot of aspects of his life are, are usually serious me, uh, seriously misrepresented. Um, there's a uh, author by the name of Jonathan Elmer, who's a friend of a friend of ours, who uh, writes quite a bit about Edgar Allan Poe. He has a, a sort of a blog about it. And quite often he, he deals with uh, image versus reality. Poe, the, um, you know, everyone knows what Edgar Allan Poe looks like. How many people have actually read Edgar Allan Poe? Um, most people, I'm sure, are familiar with Poe via the, uh, well, the Roger Corman movies of the 60s and, and uh, 70s, which were anything but Edgar Allan Poe. In fact, uh, say, uh, there was one I saw the other day called The Haunted Castle which is actually uh, a story that uses the Haunted Castle, which is uh, the name of the poem that Poe wrote. But the story itself is uh, the, uh, the case of Charles Dexter Ward, which is a H.P. Uh, Lovecraft story, where a guy comes to his ancestral home and is possessed by his ancestor. So. But, um, yeah, the image of Poe versus, say, Poe the man, Poe the artist, is, is rather distorted. He was very much a craftsman. Um, if you read his... Um, he has a lot of works of uh, a literary critique, <clears throat> and even has works on how he wrote, say, The Raven, for instance. And when you read that, you, you can see very methodical sort of thought processes. The first thing is, that, well, you know, I needed a, basically says I needed a hook 
And he came up with uh, the Nevermore, you know, the Nevermore line from, from uh, The Raven. And then um, after that, he built the poem af- uh, from that sort of starting point. He, he thought about the rhythms of the words he wanted to use. He thought about the, the tone he wanted to set. So it was anything but uh, a fevered bit of inspiration. It was very much a, a work of craftsmanship. Um, and speaking of which, uh, the, the music for The Black Cat um, and the music for The Oval Portrait, part of it was, was um, provided by uh, my brother's band Mantray, which is uh, Paul Bilbro and Cal Weston. And, um, you know, the first, uh, well, the first, I guess The Oval Portrait was mainly them. Is that correct, Bob? Yes, so um, <clears throat> first it was just a, a, an awesome opportunity to be able to, to work with some other artists. Uh, Paul and Kel do some really intriguing uh, uh, ambient and, and um, uh, drone style music. And uh, they provided me full tracks and they provided me some indiv- you know, uh, also the individual tracks that make up uh, some of their, their pieces. And for uh, the Oval Portrait, they had a couple of compositions that that I brought in because you know the challenge all, always with our episodes is they have a particular length, um, and then you know I'm looking to take the reading and then and then really build a score for it. So um, uh, a lot of times the pieces of music I'm working with aren't the same length. So it was it was of course. It, very straightforward then to take multiple pieces of music and find the opportunities to blend from one into the other. And Paul and Kel provided me a couple of pieces that worked well together and just fit the mood of the Elva portrait very well. They had uh, this uh, this sort of sense of antiquity, um, mystery, and um, a, a sense of something building to a crescendo and. And so uh, I, I leveraged a couple of their pieces there, and that, that worked really, really well. And then when we got to The Black Cat, this was a much longer piece. And, uh, and, and so uh, I found, you know, I had some material that I could contribute. They had material that, that uh, could be uh, brought in. And it was really, uh, you know, it, it came together really as a complete uh, collaboration. And... You know, the challenge there was uh, you had this story of the black cat where the protagonist is appears to be sane at the beginning of the story. And then through the story, through things that happen uh, in his life, uh, you realize this person is damaged. Um, They have um, uh, some serious psychological problems. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And dealing with animals. So being able to take some material that I had that was that would fit very well under the parts of the story where he's speaking and sounds rather sane and and you're hearing about his life and i have some you know sort of gentle drone music going underneath of that and then there's periods where he's he's becoming very you know dark and he starts torturing animals and that's where uh, i brought in paul and cal i don't know if you know, I use them for the animal torturing scenes, so to speak. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's how they wanted their music. Uh, they didn't intend their music to be used that way, but... but it, just, uh, it just fits. Damn if it didn't just fit. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's like, <laughs> it just worked. Uh, but it was really cool to be able to take um, music that we really created separate and distinct of the story 
Um, and this is really how a lot of the scores for Ambient Arcana come together. It's music that's being created uh, through, through workflows of, of Paul and Cal or myself, but then I have this opportunity to take it and weave it uh, into a, a, a texture underneath a reading. Um, and, and you know the challenge is to make sure that it, that it fits the mood and it, and it supports the reading. The score is never trying to be the, the, thing, the, the, the thing you're necessarily paying direct attention to. It's just there to set the mood and support the story. And, uh, and so the collaboration with Paul Kell has been fantastic. Oh yeah, and I remember when I was listening to the Black Cat, I, I kept. Um, uh, I often will will we'll find pictures that you know illustrations of Poe or, or illustrations of Fu uh, Song Ling or whoever, what, whichever author we're, we're talking about. And I was, I'm you know scanning the internet looking for pictures, and the music kept drawing me back into the story. You know, I sort of had it on in the background, thinking, um, you know, I'll, I'll just listen to it casually. But I kept being drawn back in via the music and. And the narrative power of what my, my brother Bob was doing, as far as his his approach goes, as far as you know, uh, saying the words and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And now you contrast that with the work I did on the uh, the Mask of the Red Death. So when I heard Bob's reading of the Mask of the Red Death, as if this just I feel like I'm watching a movie. It just yeah. felt very cinematic. So I said, okay, this deserves. Um, uh, its own score. So I really uh, I, I leveraged uh, you know, uh, orchestral libraries that I have, and I I composed a piece d exactly for that. You know, essentially scoring it like a like a movie. And uh, one of the techniques in, in film scoring is to create themes for for the various characters uh, in in the movie. And so what I did is I created a theme for the uh, the Red Death. I created a theme for the prince, and then finally there's a theme for the clock, and those are the, like the three big characters um, in in the story. And so, as you're listening to it, I, I, it's, I, it's probably fairly obvious as you're as you're hearing about the prince, you're hearing that the, the, the prince theme. Um, it's very delicate. It's very, you know, it's got some pretty uh, aspects to it, but also uh, leveraging a particular scale. Um, you have this uh, minor to major shift, and it and it uh, um, you know it clearly uh, creates uh, the sense of the prince, who is this person who you know just obviously thinks very much of himself and is all about himself, and and um, so hopefully I've captured sort of that you know regal, um, better than thou type of attitude through that through that theme. And of course, the Red Death is just, when you hear that, it's a low rumble, uh, low strings, and it's just, it just comes in waves and builds. And then the clock, I, uh, you know, I really just wanted to capture the, the ominous chime that, that is talked about several times throughout the story. And just, it, it's this, you know, very rich piece of wood and metal coming together and clashing, and it's, spoken of in the story as being uh, musical yet ominous you know so hopefully you know, it's got a lot of odd overtones and it rings and it thumps and uh, you know makes you kind of sit up and take notice when that thing happens and that's what that's how it's leveraged in the story 
Yeah, it's interesting. When I, I think about the illustrations that I, I gathered, you, you really do see the clock, the prince, and the red death. I mean, these are the three themes, the three main characters in the story. The other main character might be the, the, the different rooms that they all go into. And, um, you know, um, Poe definitely has a way of building to a crescendo, which, which I, we see in all, all three of the stories we cover, the, the yellow portrait, the, the mask of the red death, and then of course the, um, the black cat. Um, there's just this wonderful sort of relentless kind of, um, it's gonna resolve the way it's gonna resolve, just because it can't resolve in any other way. It's just kind of these things kind of progress. And uh, the relentless, you know, the the, um, the mania of the protagonist and the black cat, you know, that's relentless. The the obsession of the painter and the oval portrait, uh, that's relentless. The, the prince's, his ego is such that, uh, you know, it's going to get everybody killed. You know, they're all stuck in that tower, you know, with all its, its lovely rooms and, and, you know, all the fancy dress clothes and stuff. And one of the things that your brother is so good at, I mean, he's... He, he, you really feel like he's in character when he's reading this story, and it just, I just, he, 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 he draws you in. But he ends the stories very dramatically. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things I did is I made sure the music came to fruition, ended right before his last line. I did it the same way in all three stories because his last line just is like it's the end cap, and and I wanted it without music very dramatic you just hear his voice and there's silence afterwards right so so uh, leveraging silence is a, again another technique in, in putting together the soundtracks here to um, to create dramatic effect but I, I my favorite part of is just being able to make sure the music disappears just as before he says you know you know she's dead or whatever the last line is you know <laughs> it says I love it so I, I do strongly uh, su- uh, suggest that people do kind of look into Poe's life if they're interested in, in him, look at his, uh, his uh, other writings besides his uh, fiction pieces, because they are very informative about the type of person he was, the type of artist he was, the type of craftsman he was, uh, the type of uh, businessman he was. I mean, it's, it's very intriguing, the, the image versus the, uh, the man versus the artist. And uh, again, uh, Jonathan Ulmer, um, uh, I guess it's Professor Homer. Uh, if you can do a search for his name online and Poe, you'll uh, find a wealth of uh, very interesting articles on Poe the man, Poe the image, Poe the artist. Yeah, so if you want to find out, uh, go to somebody who's actually spent a, a, you know, a great deal of his professional life uh, exploring Poe and his work. I think that's, that's going to be it for this, this episode. Uh, this is Jim. And this is Bob. And this has been Ambient Arcana. Ambient Arcana.